ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The Territory Government has launched legal action against the owners of Claraval Farm near Catherine over allegations of illegally clearing land. There was an application made. Uh, unfortunately, what was found was that there was some work being done prior to the application being processed. So on some advice, we decided to send that to the courts so that they could take a thorough examination of all the issues. And I wonder if you can guess which Territory Station has just applied to clear nearly 4,000 hectares. We'll talk more about this on the Country Hour soon. We'll also today speak to the Weather Bureau at 5 past 1 to get the latest on ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee, which is slowly heading towards the Territory border and is dumping some seriously big rain over parts of outback Queensland. It's been a bit full on here. We've had 280 mil in the last 24 hours. Mightn't be the most ever, but it'll be right up there. And this is now heading towards the Territory. What sort of week could the Barkley be in for? There is a flood watch now in place for parts of eastern and central inland NT. Lots going on this afternoon. Let's get into it. We're broadcasting across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Uh, first up today, let's head out to the VRD because as the mighty Victoria River starts to ease the flood damage to that region, and in particular the Victoria Highway, is starting to become a little bit clearer. We're joined this afternoon by Shane Tepper, who's from the Department of Infrastructure Planning and Logistics. Shane, what's your understanding on how the Victoria Highway is looking? Uh, so the Victoria Highway is um, currently open between Catherine and the Buntine Highway, um, but it does remain closed between Buntine Highway and the West Australian border. Um, look, it's likely to remain closed for the next several days. Um, there is still some significant flooding at various locations along the highway, um, including the Vic River Bridge, as well as um, areas west of Timber Creek. So there's still some sections that are more than two metres of water above the road. Wow. Um, so we've got you know, various areas now that have been underwater for more than a week now. So, look, there's likely to be some significant um, damage to some of those roads and pavements, um, you know, loss of seal and, and undermining of pavements at the various culverts and crossings. I've seen some pictures from the Vic River Roadhouse and, um, yeah, some big holes around there, it would seem. Uh, yes, yes. So there's, um, in particular, the, the hard stand around the Vic River Roadhouse itself. Um, look, we're yet to be able to access um, the other side of the Vic River to to undertake assessments of the road itself. There were some trucks parked up on the highway there, trying to find a bit of the, the high ground in that flood event. Um, do you know how they fared? Uh, there is um, one of the trucks is um, actually still stuck. It's, it's blocking the road. Um, we expect to be able to get that removed this afternoon. Yeah. So so you've got crews out there as far as they can go, hey? You've got crews out near the Vic River Roadhouse? Uh, we've got inspection inspectors, uh, you know, checking daily and, and um, getting as far as they can to undertake those assessments. And we will be um, getting road maintenance crews um, undertaking repairs 
as soon as those areas become accessible. How big could this job end up being, do you think, Shane? Uh, look, it's going to be very significant. Um, yeah, look, any time when you've got um, you know long sections of pavement underwater for extended periods, uh, yeah, it's likely to be significant um, damage and you know ongoing repairs over the next several months will be likely to be required. And how nervous are you about ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee? Uh, yeah, certainly we're, we're keeping a very close eye on that. Um, yeah, look, given that um, a lot of the territory now is, you know, saturated from the most recent wet weather, um, you know, look, any additional rainfall we, we get from that low is um, likely to cause some significant flooding again. In terms of roads around the territory, anything else that you'd like to share with our audience this afternoon? Uh, so the, the Stuart Highway is um, currently open. Um, we do have a no overmass permit vehicles restriction on that road. Um, but, you know, we do have water over the road in a number of locations and um, various um, road maintenance crews undertaking repairs. So just as drivers to, to take caution through those areas and sort of slow down, um, obey the traffic control where it's in place. Um, we currently have a directional closure on the Tablelands Highway, so today it's travel only between 7am and 5pm in our southbound direction, and that will switch to northbound traffic tomorrow. And uh, the, the Daly River Road is currently closed between Woolianna Road and Daly River, and we currently have a, a closure on Port Keats Road. Yeah. And just repeating, the Victoria Highway closed between the Buntine Highway intersection and the WA border and likely to remain closed for, I'll quote you here, Shane, several days. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we expect, um, you know, it won't be until later in the week at the earliest that we'd be able to take some inspections of that section. All right, then. We appreciate your time this afternoon. We've actually been sent a, a picture, Shane, of a crocodile trap sitting on Highway 1 there near Timber Creek. We'll have to send that to you. The road's still being used, just, just in different ways. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, um, you know, we, we certainly don't want um, drivers to risk driving through flooded roads, so it's flooded, forget it. Yeah. Okay, thanks for your time this afternoon. Appreciate it. All right, no worries. Thanks very much. That is uh, Shane Tepper, who is Dipple's Project Director for Civil Assess Management. Hi everyone, my name is Bernard England and I'm a sawmill worker in Manuguda community. And you're listening to the Country Hour on ABC. The Territory Government has launched legal action against the owners of Claraval Farm near Catherine over allegations of illegally clearing 286 hectares of freehold land back in 2021. Now, it's believed to be the first time the Territory Government has taken this kind of legal action and the matter is now due to be heard in Catherine Local Court next month on the 27th of February. In a statement to the Country Hour last week, the Territory's Minister for Infrastructure, Planning and Logistics, Joel Bowden, said, Acting on advice from an extensive investigation, I determined that the seriousness of the allegations warranted pursuing a prosecution. He said the evidence gathered included satellite imagery, aerial photography and expert witness statements. And he said prosecuting this matter sends a message that allegations of unpermitted clearing will be treated seriously in the Northern Territory. 
Uh, the Minister was at a press conference this morning and was asked about the Claraval case. Here's what he said. Um, there was an application made. Uh, unfortunately, what was found was that there was some work being done prior to the application being processed. So on some advice, we decided to send that to the courts so that they could take a thorough examination of all the issues and run through the process. We, we get legal advice and the uh, Solicitor for the Northern Territory provides all Ministers and all Departments with legal advice, so um, they are very good lawyers. I thank them for their, their hard work and consistent work for the Territory Government. And so on advice we were able to uh, send that further down the process and, and that's what's underway. I probably can't comment any further right because it's now in front of the court. That is the Minister for Infrastructure and Planning, Joel Bowden, this morning. According to the government, the maximum penalty for clearing native vegetation that's not in accordance with a permit or an interim development control, I've been told that the maximum fines could be over $80,000 for an individual and over $400,000 for a company. The chief executive of the NT's Amateur Fishermen's Association, David Chiravalo, he spoke to Adam Steer this morning and said he didn't want to comment on the specifics of the Claraval case, but said land clearing near Territory Rivers was of concern to his members. Right, well, um, not commenting on this case uh, in particular, um, I guess it's determined in terms of its legality will be determined by the courts, but the, the clear thing here is that what we know protecting the areas adjacent to the rivers is absolutely critical because it's not only um, trapping uh, things flowing towards the river, but it also becomes habitat at a time when the river becomes connected to the land that is adjacent to the river. And if we think about things like the barramundi fishery, which is you know, obviously absolutely world famous, there's barramundi all around the world. There's barramundi in Queensland, there's barramundi in Asia. But in the Northern Territory, we have these populations of prodigious proportions, these really big fish in really big numbers. And that is due to that relationship relationship between the rivers and the floodplains uh, and the environment alongside the rivers and the fact that we get that exchange of nutrient from the land into the rivers and that is actually the backbone of our world-class fishery. So we need to protect it and we know that that sustains livelihoods. It sustains the lives of people uh, who have hospitality businesses, um, remote Indigenous communities. Uh, everybody benefits from it and there's a huge economic and social benefit that's already embedded in having these environments intact and that's why we need to protect them. There's a reasonable amount of land cleared very close to the Daly River along Wooliana Road and also near the the Catherine River. Have you seen any negative effects of that clearing? Well, look, we've certainly had reports of increased erosion, as you would expect, occurring in the seasons immediately after the land clearing. And so you you tend to get um, a greater mobilisation of the topsoils and the soils um, through, uh, through into the river um, when there's flooding. So you would expect that to occur. Um, I think it's so important when it comes to the Daly River. I mean, generally we expect from a large river there shouldn't be clearing, well, legally it shouldn't be clearing within uh, 250 metres of it. But the Daly River has special rules which are, which are even more um, protective than that. And so generally we wouldn't be expecting new clearings to be occurring sort of a 1,000 metres from the river. I understand in some of the cases here there's mitigating circumstances. I'm not going to comment on the particular uh, particular things there. But just to say that there's been a lot of work by community and advocates dating back sort of 20 
20 years uh, plus ago of, of having these special protections in place. And so when we see things that appear to be inconsistent with that, it's normal for us to ask why. And it's obviously encouraging to see the government taking it seriously because we need to take it seriously. That is David Cherivalo from AFANT. And just to clarify here, in the Territory, you've got Claraval Station near Catherine, which is a pastoral lease. And then there's Claraval Farm next door, which is a freehold block. And that's where the alleged illegal land clearing has taken place in 2021 on Claraval Farm. ABC News says it has reached out to the owners of Claraval who declined to comment. I'm joined in the studio now by Dan Fitzgerald. Uh, Dan, the owners of Claraval Farm and Claraval Station look set to have their day in court now in uh, February next month on the 27th. But in the meantime, well, it seems they're busy and pressing ahead with some land clearing plans. Uh, yes, the owners there have uh, they have applied to clear some land, some more land on Claravale Station. This is for 3,982 hectares. Uh, this application, it says the proposed use of that cleared area would be for the production of rain-fed forage sorghum for hay, silage and grazing. Okay. Um, so the sort of area that this is for the uh, Claravale Station, it is right near the Daly, but it's also near the Ferguson. And this area that it is proposing is for um, a patchwork of area that some of which borders the Ferguson River. Right. Um, at its closest point, um, the proposed clearing is 250 metres away from that river. And yeah, so it is over nearly 4,000 hectares, but uh, it is some a patchwork of about 20 different areas from as small as about 50 hectares up to 380 hectares. Now, Matt, this application, uh, it was actually put up on an NT government website on Friday just gone. And you've got a copy in uh, your hands, I can see it. Yes. Yeah, I downloaded it this morning. Um, it was to be made available for public submissions until later in February. Um I've got it right here, but if you go on the NT government website right now, it has disappeared. It's gone. It's not there anymore. Okay. Uh, there has already been some clearing on Claraval Station. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, as part of uh, the application uh, that I've got here, it's um, detailed that there was some clearing done last year, 916 hectares. Uh, the permit for that portion, that was issued back in 2021, but it seemed like the clearing was only done last year. Um, and while we are on land clearing applications, Matt, there's quite a number of them that are still being assessed, um, dating back a number of years now. If you go on the website, uh, there's currently 11 pastoral properties with land clearing permits under assessment, not including the one that's disappeared for Claravale Station. Hmm. Um, and all of this totals an area of around 30,000 hectares. Okay, thank you very much for the update, Dan Fitzgerald. This all heads to the courtroom next month in Catherine. Stick around, Dan, because up next, let's talk country music. Leadership changes are deeply traumatising. The coalition years. Friendships are broken, people tell each other lies. And a story of ambition, betrayal and revenge. They just decided to wreck the whole joint. They destroyed each other's governments. In a landmark documentary series, the politicians who were there tell what really happened. Could not make it up. Nemesis. Politics is personal. <laughs> Starts tonight on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. 
It is 14 to 1. You are tuned into the Country Hour. The Golden Guitar Awards were held on the weekend there in Tamworth. Dan, tell us who were some of the winners, the big winners. Oh, there's uh, some of the winners were Sarah Storer and her brother Greg. Uh, they took out the Bush Ballad of the Year for Dust Kids. We played that tune a few times here on the Country Hour. Yep. Uh, Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham took out traditional country album and the single of the year and song of the year with Size Up. And the big award, the album of the year, was won by the Wolf Brothers. They're a duo from Tasmania for their album Live in the Dream. They also took out the group or duo of the year. Um, Yeah, they wrote that album sort of over Zoom quite a bit during (laughs) lockdown. Um, And, yeah, it's come out pretty well. Here's the title track from that album, uh, Live in the Dream. That is the Wolf Brothers who took home a swag of golden guitars there on the weekend at Tamworth. The album of the year, Living the Dream, taking out that top award. You are tuned into the Country Hour, and we have been talking about land clearing on the program today. Uh, this follows the news that the Territory Government has launched legal action against the owners of Claraval Farm near Catherine over allegations of illegally clearing 286 hectares of freehold land back in 2021. Um, joining us this afternoon is Jerry Wood, who's the former independent member for Nelson, uh, someone who has long followed agriculture in the Territory. What's your take on, on everything that's happening here, Jerry? Oh, it sort of it makes you wonder, because after all these years, you'd think that um, development around water, you know, wetlands and rivers and that would be, it'd be automatic that you protect them by having buffers around them. And I know even just on a local issue, the effort required even when people put subdivisions in to say, look, some of that land cannot be subdivided. It needs to be protected It could because it's part of a watercourse. That watercourse leads into a bigger watercourse and that might all end up in Darwin Harbour. So, you know, you're thinking, um, um, I suppose the full length of a, of a river or a creek. So you try and protect it all. And I think the idea of having buffers is, is something that should be just permanently ingrained into people developing these days. And how big should um, the buffer be, do you think? Well, it would vary according to the, wet, the, the, the water course. So Daly is a big water course. I know the Daly. Uh, and land was cleared there back uh, you know, probably in the 1930s when they grew peanuts and cotton down there. Hmm. Uh, I worked on the mission. The mission was actually a farm before the mission owned it, and I ran did the vegetable garden there. That was all cleared land. Then I worked on a farm on the other side of the river for Snowy Best, um, and that land was cleared right up to the river. And, of course, when big floods came, uh, it did do damage to those parcels of land where there was no protection from it. Um, so you would think that, well, we've learnt by those things now. We need to do things better. and we really shouldn't be sort of having to tell people, um, you know, what is is good common sense and what is good environmentally uh, so that we keep the health of these streams and rivers at, at as best we can. That doesn't mean you don't have development, but you can do it in such a way as if we, we're doing it um, sensibly. And the the the, the, the processes, uh, shouldn't, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, we're still in the 1930s. We, we know that if you protect the river, you'll protect those animals and um, fish that use the river. But at the same time, we need to have development and we need to be able to do it in a uh, way that, uh, based on science and based on good knowledge, um, protects that river. Do you think a large-scale cotton industry in the Territory can be done sensibly? 
I don't think you need it necessarily saying uh, about cotton. I think we need, because cotton uses water, mangoes use water. There was big peanut development, you know, about 20 years ago down in Catherine on very light soils. I was there when that, that company went there. Um, I think you need to have um, proper plant management systems in place. Um, you need to only clear land that is suitable if you're going to use light red. A lot of the land on the daily, for instance, is red sandy loams, and they're very um, liable for erosion. And you had a gentleman on your program last year who went to the, mm. a soil conference who his concerns were erosion. So there has been development on the daily for a number of years in the 70s. It was the Douglas daily. The farmers were brought up from down south to try and grow crops. And one of the things they did learn there, and um, I think Phil Horsler, who works for the department, was part of that, was the no tillage process. If you're going to grow a crop in the wet season, then you've got to do it a certain way, and that was through no tillage. And you'd had to have slopes of land no less than 2%. So it's not, just a, it's not so much about the crop, it's how you manage that crop. And I don't know why people keep pitting on cotton. I keep thinking it's all the Douglas Daly will... I've been to the, uh, not the Douglas Day, the, the um, Murray Darling. Things have changed down there. I went and visited those places. I visited Kununurra, which did grow cotton many years ago, and they, it was a disaster. But when you have a look at how it's done now, things have changed because people have used new processes. So we need to be making sure that when we grow cotton in the Northern Territory, which is different than growing it in Queensland and WA, because they have heavy soils and they generally grow using thorough irrigation, that if we're going to grow during the wet season, then we need to be very careful how we do it. But as I said, it could apply to soybean, could apply to other crops. Hmm. But whatever way we deal with crops, we should be using the best plant husbandry methods uh, so that we um, look after the soil, which is very friable. I noticed that the amateur fishing gentleman there said, talked about you know how nutrients can get back into the, the, the river. And I think that is an important thing from the cotton industry that if you're going to grow cotton in the wet, you need to have places where any nutrient runoff is trapped um, before it gets there. But the other issue that you sometimes not taken note of, the dry season, a lot of the country around the daily is burnt. And when it's burnt, the, the grasses are gone. And when the first rain comes, those soils wash into the river. It ends up it's in the river. a natural yeah. process. Yeah, yeah and I, I've flown over the daily in the wet season and I can see this expanse of red out in Anson Bay. It's a natural process. We don't need to encourage it by doing things that, that encourage that necessarily, but it's there already to some extent, and that brings nutrients into the river, um, and you know, and, and keep much as it looks red, it's part of the natural process. So we make make sure we don't get confused with what happens mm. in the natural process. But I think you know, today we should have farmers today, and I presume we have many good farmers that have know how to do the right thing by the environment by being sensible about how they develop so that, you know, they bring the community along with future growth of the Northern Territory through the agricultural industry. Because if you do it the wrong way, people are going to say, we don't like this at all, and you're going to get people up in arms about it. Just a little thing. I've heard you speak about the cotton the cotton on the highway. Now, I'm sure they promised some years ago that they'd completely enwrap their the cotton bales. They promised to cover... The uh, the the um, the vehicles, yeah, carting the cotton south. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Well, I I mean, if I had a whole truckload of uh, shredded paper and I let bits of it fly up in the highway, I'd be pulled up for littering the highway. 
I don't see any difference. They need to make sure that they do the right thing. Again, if you don't do the right thing, the community will not support you. So they need to be smart in the way they do things, whether it's how they grow the crop, how they process the crop, um, and, and how they look after the environment at the same time. And I'm sure you can do that. There's clever people out there. But if you short, make shortcuts because you want to you know, save money and that, then you'll lose the community support. So wouldn't matter what crop it is I'm talking about. I don't know why people keep picking on cotton, but because there's plenty of other crops that, that use just as much water and have to be cultivated too. But yeah. we need to do it sensibly. Well, apparently this latest application from Claravel is to grow rain-fed sorghum for example. Um, well, that's exactly how Tipperary worked at one stage, wasn't it? Oh, no, well, that, might have, oh, that yeah, was a long time ago, yeah, and Scott Creek well, and all those. Soil, yeah. That's exactly the same country that Tipperary um, are now growing cotton on. Yep. And I have a little bit of concern that, that about the slopes down there. I've seen it and I've been worried. And there's no protection of those watercourses because back in the 60s they cleared the lot. They didn't leave anything. It's just been cleared. And so if we're going to do things today, then we need to make sure there are buffers um, across the country and, and, and from uh, integrated pest management. I think that's important as well, but also to make sure that any nutrients flowing off are caught and captured um, and absorbed in those buffers before they move into any of the water courses. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Jerry. Appreciate it. Okay, no worries, Matt. Bye. Cheers. G'day, I'm Ben Coots, Catherine Northern Territory, flat out loading trucks and supplying the rural industry across the north. We keep the ABC on at work all day so that our customers and our staff can keep up with all the news and latest happenings. And you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, heading just across the border into outback Queensland, where ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee has been delivering some seriously big rain. It's been a bit full on here. We've had 280 mil in the last 24 hours Mightn't be the most ever, but it'll be right up there. That is uh, Mark from Panola Station, which is sort of near McKinley. Nearly 300 millimetres in 24 hours at his house. Whoa! Some places recorded close to 400 millimetres from this event, and now it's heading towards the Northern Territory. So let's learn more about that. Billy Lynch is at the Weather Bureau this afternoon. Uh, Billy... Before we get to the ex-cyclone and what it's up to, can you just share with us the rainfall figures from the weekend just gone, the 72-hour the figures? What are some of the best ones? Yeah, I'd love to because there's been some good ones. Uh, and the heaviest falls have been around the uh, the northwest top end and then down into the, the lower Victoria River catchment. So top of the list, we've got Gunpoint with uh, 220 mils, Kangaroo Flat south of Darwin Harbour, 211 mils. Um, so they're the two above 200, and then it's been a few over 100, including uh, Fanny Bay, 160 mils, Adelaide Rivers had 150, uh, even Noonamah, 129, um, and then yeah, in the the lower Victoria River catchment, Bradshaw training areas had 113, Gee. Uh, the East Baines River, 121. Uh, even Timber Creek uh, picked up 73 millimetres and most of that was Saturday night, Sunday morning. So, yeah, there's been um, quite a bit of rain in, in the lower Vic um, of around 50 to 100 millimetres. Uh, even the Daily actually has picked up um, some good falls. The Douglas River has had 120 millimetres 
Um, but these are isolated totals. Yeah. Um, you know, catchment wide, <coughs> obviously been a bit less. Um, and the Catherine region's also picked up 20 to 40 millimetres over the weekend. Okay. Uh, there's still some flood warnings in place for the Vic River. Um, and and a moderate flood warning for the Daly River, but we now see a flood watch for parts of eastern and central inland NT. Now, this is associated with ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee. What can you tell us? Yeah, so it's just it's a flood watch. It's a heads-up. Um, we're obviously watching Kiralee very closely. I heard in the intro you mentioned some of those rainfall figures, so it has been very wet in the last 24 hours. Um, it's looking like it's going to be slow moving for a couple of days, which um, yeah isn't great news for Western Queensland. From about Wednesday, um, we're anticipating that it will begin moving northwards. Um, what we're unsure of still is whether that northward movement is going to be more northeastwards, uh, further into Queensland, or northwestwards, taking it into um, the NT, uh, pr- principally the the eastern Barkley or even perhaps up towards the, the Borolula region. So flood watch out for the potentiality of some heavy falls developing across the eastern Barkley, but it's by no means a, a clear situation on what it's going to do later this week. Okay. Because just looking at the radars in that region, it would seem the system sort of sitting halfway between Cloncurry and Boulia. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Um, yeah, southeast of Mount Isa, down that way. And just a bit stuck there. It's stuck, mm. yeah, and and delivering a lot of rain. Um, and it's going to just meander in that place for at least another 24 to 48 hours. Mm. Um, yeah, from Wednesday, a ridge of high pressure pushes in, so that's what's going to give it a, a northwards push, which will at least get it away from where it's raining at the moment but it it may push it closer to the northern territory we started today's program talking about the victoria highway um, still two meters of water over some sections of it and uh, well the latest we have from the department is that it will remain closed over there in the west at least for several days i think was the quote have you got a bit of a sense on what um, what type of weather that part of the territory might expect this week yeah, yep. Our message to everyone is a normal wet season weather. So the showers and thunderstorms aren't going to disappear. Um, there's certainly a lot more blue skies out there at the moment, but still quite humid. So um, this afternoon and throughout the week, still the risk of afternoon showers and thunderstorms. So um, it shouldn't be widespread enough to sort of delay the recession, but but uh, you know there may be. S- Certainly on some of the tributaries, there may be some little ups and downs still this week. Mm. Anything else we need to be aware of as we get into a new week? No, I mean, I think the key message across the top end is rainfall generally easing, so back to that normal wet season rainfall, but with the potential for isolated heavy falls across the top end that could produce some flash flooding. Um And then through southern parts of the NT, it's looking to be just a very hot, dry week um, and getting quite windy as well, southeasterly winds pushing in. So um, that and obviously we're watching with the ex-tropical cyclone. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. No worries. Thank you, Matt. There's Billy Lynch there 
at the Weather Bureau. Our text number of the country hour is 0487 991057. Sprinkle says, Matt, it was good to hear from Jerry Wood. The current mob of pollies could learn a lot from him, says Sprinkles on 0487 991057. We were speaking to Jerry Wood about land clearing. And this comes off the back of news today that the Territory Government has launched legal action against the owners of Claraval Farm near Catherine over allegations of illegally clearing 286 hectares of freehold land back in 2021. Uh, We mentioned to you that the owners of Claraval Station have now applied to clear nearly 4,000 hectares. That application went public on Friday and then... This morning, all of a sudden, it disappeared from the government's website. Uh, We said that on air, and I've got now an explanation from the government to share with you in case you were jumping on the website and looking to find this new application from Claravale Station. Um, A rep from the department says, regarding the clearing application, uh, the government realised that some information was missing after it went live there on Friday, and so it's now seeking that information from the proponent before it is advertised again. So there's a little update in case you're wondering. G'day, this is Chris Nathaniel at Tropiculture Australia Bees Creek, and you're listening to The Country Hour. And let's head across the border now where some cattle stations in outback Queensland have received their yearly rainfall totals in just 24 hours. And this is because of ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee, which is slowly moving through the region. As Billy Lynch has told us, it's pretty much stuck now in that patch between Klong Curry and Bulia and delivering big rain. There's been totals of between 200, even 400 millimetres recorded in these areas. Grazier Mark Fegan, he lives south of McKinlay on Panola Station and he told Madeline McCosker that he needs a boat now if he wants to get around. It's been a bit full on here, yeah, not as much as others, but we've had 280 mil in the last 24 hours from 9 to 9 this morning and 210 of that was overnight. I'd have to look back through records, but I think tipping out 280 mil in a 24 hours is probably the most ever. Mightn't be the most ever, but it'll be right up there. And we're hearing of big 24-hour totals. I think uh, you mentioned there that some places have had, you know, upwards of 300 mils overnight. That that's getting close to too much rain in that kind of period, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Yes, yes. No, um, it's been raining since. Um, not heavy rain, but um, it's been raining now since Friday night. It started to get you know more more constant rain Saturday, so it's been raining since you know more or less Saturday morning all the time, and and just heavier and more constant as we went. And last night, well, it was just full on. So yes, it it sort of needs to pack up and move move somewhere else and give us someone else a go now. Yeah, you said that, that, you know, if it sticks around for another 24 hours, you're concerned that it could be a repeat of what we saw in 2019? Yes, definitely could. Yes, there's no doubt in that. You know, uh, the cattle just are not going to handle the the cold. It's not as cold as 2019, but it's starting to cool down a bit more this morning, I noticed. So we keep, this keeps happening. Yes, it could be 
you know, 2019, but maybe not as bad because it's not as widespread as in many properties affected. And how were things looking before this bit of rain came through on Friday? Were you were you sort of looking like you needed a bit of rain or, or, or have you had a pretty good season so far? No, no, we were needing rain, yes. We're starting, you know, like we'd had 26 mil, I think, prior to this in about four different four falls. So it was luckily we've had a lot of subsoil moisture from the you know, from last year's rain. So there was a green starting to happen everywhere in the Mitchell. So I suppose we're better off in that respect than 2019. There is a lot more grass around, so at least they've got something to eat. Have you had a chance to get out and, and see how things are looking or see no. how your stock are faring? No, we can't. No, we could do. We're all in Downs country here. You <laughs> bog yourself, let alone a wheeled vehicle. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so how long are you thinking it might be once this rain does stop before you can get a bit of an idea of how things have fared? Oh, it'll be a couple of days at least, you know, by the time. You, won't, you still won't be able to, you know, you need, need you know, whirly birds, something in the air to get around. Um, but, yeah, you still won't cross any any creeks or anything they just bog your bog goes you know you, you stay there you know with all this rain i think the mckinlay river was 1.7 over you know three hours ago so that's only going to come up further mm. you know and um yeah so you might get kainoon away out and up to julia creek that way or down witten way there you go that's grazier mark fegan at panola station speaking to madeline mccosker so he runs an operation just south of McKinlay and getting some seriously big rain. That system, that ex-tropical cyclone, appears to be stuck at the moment in that part of Queensland. And when we spoke to the Weather Bureau, a little bit of uncertainty as to whether it will just storm into the Barkley or maybe it'll head a bit further north. We'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, there is a flood watch that is in place for parts of eastern and central inland northern territory. And the catchments likely to be affected include the Barkley, Georgina River and Eyre Creek. Stay up to date via the Bureau and, of course, the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. Our text number is 0487 1057. Another message saying how good it was to hear from Jerry Wood on the Country Hour. And I've got a, a message and a photo here from Graham. And this is just wonderful stuff. So the picture, first of all, is of two wheelbarrows. One has got no water in it, and the other wheelbarrow on the right-hand side is full of water. And Graham says, Matt, I've given up measuring the rainfall conventionally, and instead I'm using a wheelbarrow as a unit of measurement here in the rural area. He says, as you can see, the right-hand wheelbarrow is for Australia Day, the 26th, full of water. The left-hand wheelbarrow is the next day, the 27th. Thank you, says Graham. <laughs> That's a lot of rain to fill up a wheelbarrow. Indeed, indeed. I'll, uh, I'll get in touch with the Weather Bureau, see if they're keen for a bit of change when it comes to how to measure the wet season properly. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedditch from Taruna Proprietary Limited and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory and you're listening to The Country Hour.
Former Territory Ag Minister Paul Kirby has spoken out as to why he's decided to step down from politics. He won't be contesting the next Territory election. I'll share some of that with you in a moment. But first, let's have another tune. Uh, And this is not just any old song. This is a song that has picked up a golden guitar over the weekend there in Tamworth. It was named the single of the year and song of the year. It's by Felicity Urka and Josh Cunningham. I hope you enjoy it. It's called Size Up. It's called Size Up and it won the golden guitar there on the weekend for single and song of the year. Now, as mentioned last week, former NT Ag and Mining Minister Paul Kirby will not be contesting the next election, the member for Port Darwin. He was on ABC Radio this morning explaining that decision. Let's have a listen. Yeah, look, it's been something we've been considering as a family for, for quite some time, to be honest, and and there's been a host of changes recently, which obviously did you know double down on, on us thinking about exactly what the future was going to hold for us. But, but to be honest, even if those changes hadn't have happened, it still would have been a really um, a dedicated time over the Christmas and January break that we'd, we'd allocated to, to go through what the, what the future was going to look like for us it's really tough decision because you put a lot of time and effort and energy and and work into to getting elected and and getting a a presence through the through the electorate if you concentrate on the electorate part of it to start with and yeah it is uh, it's difficult decisions to step away from um, from careers like that how big how much of a role did you being pushed from the front bench into the back bench during the files reshuffle late last year how big of a, a role did that play in your decision yeah, it's a good question, but to be honest, like we were having um, conversations as a family about whether another four years that, you know, my, my young daughter's seven in a few weeks' time and going into grade two, she's never known anything else but but me being in this in this role and and particularly busy like through through the dry season when there's events on all of the time and very heavy workloads like we had last year doing a number of uh, enterprise agreements about 12 of them um, across across that 12 month period and negotiating national skills agreements and things like that that take up a lot of your a lot of your time and, and keep you away from home a lot of the time as as well I, I knew I was in trouble Adam when I was getting home in the evenings and, and Layla was calling me uncle when I walked in the door. I, um, I had a fair idea there was going to be some conversations within the family about a career change when that started happening. Had you already indicated to the party that you weren't going to run when you were pushed to the backbench? Oh, no, no. You know, everybody in those roles, you know, they know that um, you're continually deciding and, and continuing to, to work out what your future is going to be. But no, there'd certainly been no no discussions back at that stage uh, within the party about, about not running. Um, there was certainly quite you know, private conversations uh, between me and my wife about exactly what the next year might hold. But no, there'd been no, no discussions within the party. That is Paul Kirby speaking to Adam Steer this morning. So he remains the member for Port Darwin, but will not be contesting the next election. Now, finally today on the Country Hour, a big congratulations to the organisers of the Catherine Ringers Rugby Sevens competition. 
which was recognised as the best community event at the Australia Day Awards held in Catherine there on Friday. So the Ringers Rugby event, it brings in workers from cattle stations across the Territory for a day of friendly rugby competition. It is organised by Kylie and Jim Leonard, and they're away at the moment. They're not in K-Town, so the award there on Friday was accepted on their behalf by Mal Ronnie. And he says the comp held in November is great for the town of Catherine. Well, in that time of year, you know, it, it brings all these um, people in and the injection into, the, into Catherine's economy is huge. They book out all the hotels, they, you know, they have a good time, they go to the pubs, the clubs, they, you know, and they, they buy up, they're spending money everywhere. So it's, you know, not only is it good in that respect, but they, they get to come in and enjoy a few days off, which is well earned for them. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it's good all around. Tell us a little bit about um, Ringers Rugby. How did it come into, into play in, in Catherine? So Jim and Kylie started it sort of towards the end of the mustering season, getting uh, all the all the stations involved and because um, there's a lot of young uh, long rugby players out there working on all the stations so they decided to run a tournament where you have to be a station worker or involved in um, the industry to get a start and play and yeah it's sort of grown I think this year was 20 teams there was 12 men's teams and eight women's teams so it's a huge event yeah it's probably it's the biggest sevens comp in Northern Territory. So why do you think this award is well-deserved for, for that community event? Uh, they put in a lot of hard work. Um, no one sees the behind-the-scenes um, that goes in and the, the countless... I, I'd imagine the amount of emails and phone calls that I got from Kylie and I did a minute amount of work, so um, I imagine the whole day would take up copious amounts of their time. So, yeah, big uh, kudos to them for putting in the effort and it's a thankless job. Um, at the end of the day, so they've done amazing. Yeah, so today you're here to take uh, the uh, award on their behalf. Was this expected? No, actually it's quite surprising. I, um, they got nominated and they knew they got nominated and they um, weren't going to be here, so they asked me if I could accept it on their behalf and it's a nice surprise to be rewarded for such a good event, so yeah. And uh, what, what's what's next for the Ringers Rugby? What, what's uh, in play? What, 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 are you going to change anything next year? Uh, look, initial thoughts, I think they might, uh, maybe more teams. There's a, there's a lot of players, as I said, over 300 players, so it's a, it's a big day of organisation and making sure things run on time, so there's plenty of hands on the ground. But yeah, I think there's, from this year, I think a lot of people saw it, and yeah, I think more teams, there might be more people there, more people involved, and... Yeah, it'll be a big, I think, a lot bigger event. That is Mal Roney, who is one of the organisers of the Catherine Ringers Rugby Sevens competition, speaking to Jan Kahoot. Just quickly, I've got here that the live export ship, which was ordered to turn around and come back to Australia because of safety issues in the Red Sea, it's now due to arrive at the Port of Fremantle in the next 24 hours. So we might talk more about that on tomorrow's Country Hour. Hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Hopefully you don't receive wheelbarrows of rain and I'll catch you tomorrow. Keep it rural.